Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, Empowering Intelligent Care. Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, Empowering Intelligent Care, a podcast brought to you by the experts at Iodine. I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. Recently, Iodine hosted a webinar in partnership with Actis, and one of the most frequently asked questions was, should a CDI specialist query if there is no impact? So joining me today to discuss is Iodine's Chief Clinical Strategist, Fran Jurek. Thank you for joining us again, Fran. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, although a little bit cold here in the Midwest, but all in all, glad to be here. Um, So let's dive right in. For any of our listeners who are unfamiliar, can you speak to query impact? What that means, what are the different ways that it can be calculated? What are the different ways that it can be measured? Sure. So, I mean, I would say that historically, CDI has measured impact of CDI queries via financial numbers, the change in the DRG. Um, You know, that of course started with Medicare, then expanded to additional payers. And it really was about calculating the impact of the the query to the DRG, whether it was movement to an MCC DRG or even changing the family of the DRG, for example, from pneumonia to sepsis. And that relative weight difference between those DRGs would be then multiplied times the base rate blended rate uh, to determine what the financial impact for that query was. Um, Over time, um, that has expanded as CDSs have um, uh, looked to other areas uh, to uh, consider the implication or the impact of what they do. First was probably the calculation of severity of illness risk of mortality, uh, which is somewhat dependent upon APR DRGs. So there's an APR DRG financial component that can be calculated, as well as the improvement in SOI and ROM. And this became particularly important for uh, mortality cases where the patient had expired and you wanted to make sure that on paper, uh, the patient was clearly documented all of the conditions that may have contributed to their their, uh, eventual death. Um, So that that became kind of the first step in what CDI would have called quality metrics for the impact Mm -hmm. of CDI query. Since then, there are quite a few other potential impacts that I will kind of put into the quality bucket. Um, Some may or may not have a potential financial impact if you want to go through the the calisthenics to figure it out. Um, Some some are much more difficult to kind of uh, figure that out. But everything from uh, more accurately representing your expected mortality rate uh, compared to your observed, so that when you're looking at your O to E ratio, Um, It's more in alignment with the types of patients that an organization would take care of. Uh, As more and more organizations are concerned about how they're going to look in U.S. News and World Reports moving forward, knowing that Elixhauser risk conditions are now part of that calculation, uh, that becomes important. Uh, Mm -hmm. Again, very very difficult to calculate a financial number related to that, but certainly there are impacts from a quality perspective. Vizient uh, drivers become another uh, opportunity. Um, And then there's always the patient safety indicators, the hospital-acquired conditions, right? All of those additional um, medical conditions that contribute to the overall picture of the patient and identify risk for outcomes and uh, ultimately become um, measurable by query impact in that you were able to better capture the clinical picture of what was happening to the patient 
through the addition of those diagnoses in the documentation and resulting in the appropriate codes. All right, so you mentioned some really specific impacts that are often measured and tracked by CDI programs. Are there other types of impacts that can also be important? Um, you know, I think uh, there are other, there are many organizations out there that are trying to define this in a variety of ways, you know, measuring things like changes in the expected length of stay based upon the DRG, mm -hmm. so monitoring those kinds of changes. Um, looking at things like your PEPPER report to determine, are you an outlier and are you able to make changes with more accurate documentation and how you're represented in those reports? So, I mean, anything that really starts looking at uh, patient-specific criteria, medical diagnoses, risk, uh, HCCs, for example, and ensuring we capture all of those, you know, throughout the encounter, all become important in capturing the true clinical picture of the patient and making sure it's represented appropriately in the final uh, code set. So now to get to the crux of the matter, um, this question was most frequently framed in regards to reducing administrative fatigue for physicians. So what are your thoughts on only submitting queries when there's an essential issue or an impact to the chart in an effort to ease provider fatigue? It's a really good question and somewhat difficult to answer in that um, while I completely appreciate and understand the fatigue associated with having to answer queries, the end goal here is that we accurately represent every patient and their clinical picture in the final code set. And we mm -hmm. can't do so uh, if we don't capture all of those diagnoses and we don't query, we don't provide education to physicians regarding you know, their importance to this piece. Um, so I get it. <clears throat> However, it is the name of the game in today's world. Um, you know, when I started in CDI many, many years ago and physicians, were, you know, this was all brand new and physicians, you know, had kind of that mentality of what's in it for me? Why is this important? This is only about hospital finances, et cetera. We're well past that as an industry. Right. Um, and so it really is more about helping physicians understand why the acuity of their patient, why that clinical picture needs to be most most accurately represented. Um, and, I, and so I think we're further away from that. I think the challenge is as we figure out ways to better automate and create efficiency, it isn't so much about the volume of queries or the actual number of queries, but maybe more about the process by which they have to answer them that maybe mm -hmm. we could potentially address so that it is easier. Because, you know, my example here is always when CDSs start picking and choosing when they query and when they choose not to, whether it's based upon financial impact, quality impact, their perception of the physician and their relationship with the physician, it doesn't really matter. When you start doing that, you start sending an inconsistent message to the providers. Sometimes I query, sometimes I don't. Sometimes they need to answer, sometimes they don't. So, you know, the, the most classic example I had was a CDS who told me that she had chosen not to query for the specificity of heart failure because she, in her mind, was not going to get any kind of impact. Her DRG mm -hmm. was maxed, her SOI and ROM was, was appropriate, and this was a surgeon that was always a thorn in her side. And I said, well, what about on the physician side? Because I'm sure as a surgeon, he writes CHF the same way majority of the time. He writes CHF, he's expecting someone else to write some level of specificity on the medical side. Um, and so to him, what he's seeing is 
Sometimes you query me, sometimes you don't. So I'm just going to sit back and wait for when you need me to, as opposed to when I should. And I, I think that perception is something that we need to think about in the CDI space because we are trying to capture the appropriate clinical picture for every patient and not pick and choose when something may have meaning or value. I think the other side of this is at the time of the generation of the query, maybe there is not going to be one of those kinds of impacts. But in the end, when things are final coded and the final documentation is in, and maybe the physician has ruled out some of the conditions that you thought initially were there, will that query, will that medical condition now have a level of impact that you didn't see on day two of your review that now happens in the discharge, in the post-discharge space? So rather than try and figure out, is there impact? Better question is, is this medical condition there? Is it supported by the clinical evidence? And if so, is it articulated appropriately in the documentation? So if not querying can sort of end up shooting CDI in the foot a little bit, what is a better strategy for decreasing physician fatigue and the administrative burden, which, as you said earlier, is real? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's about the process and the workflow. You know, is it easy for the physician to find that there's even a question? Where is it located? Is it, you know, embedded in a list of 52 other queries that are coming to them from other departments? Uh, is it easy for them to see? And then ultimately, does it provide them the information necessary for them to quickly and efficiently answer the question? Or are you, are you forcing them to go dig through the medical record to figure out on their own the level of specificity needed? Um, is there standardization? Are you leveraging templates? Are you making the process easy for them to ultimately reply and reply appropriately? Are you giving them appropriate choices? Um, we just had uh, a client summit a couple weeks ago, and we had some conversation about uh, allowing physicians to answer unable to determine. If the clinical evidence is there to support the query, is it the most appropriate choice to give them uh, as a response? And if not, why are we including it? Why are we not better helping our physicians get this clinical picture accurately documented instead of just giving them a task to do? You know, let's get them invested in the process. Mm -hmm. And then, I, you know, the other, the other challenge is always, where's the answer going? Is it part of the permanent medical record? Is it something that has to be translated by the CDS into another format, right? So it's about workflow. It's about consistency. It's about creating efficiency and templates that make this process easy. So it's less of a burden. The burden is not going to go away. If anything, as you look to the future in healthcare and more conditions that might influence some of these quality factors may worsen as opposed to get better. Um, so there's two options for physicians, get it right, you know, in their documentation, which is where our educational programs go, or when you happen to miss it, find a quick and easy way to get that answer into the medical record. Right. And thinking, you know, over some of those opportunities you listed, like, are there templates? Is the information easy to find? Is this consistent? While the burden of making documentation accurate may not be going away. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunity there for technology to help. Those are not insurmountable uh, barriers. Absolutely. And anytime that you can add automation to this process in the piece places or parts of the process that don't require clinical knowledge or an expert opinion is going to streamline the process and make it easier. So whether it be, you know, how the queries are authored, uh, whether it be how how they're sent, how they're received on the physician side, are there, are there quick and easy ways to make it happen? 
There is technology out there that allows them, you know, we have at Iodine with Interact where they can answer on their phone. Um, and in that phone conversation, or it's not really a conversation, in that communication, uh, the clinical evidence is there to support the information so that the physician very easily at the time of their choice can reply with the appropriate information and allow that response to get back into the medical record where it is part of the permanent record can be then coded and allow for that clinical picture to be accurately represented. So you mentioned physician education earlier, and I wanted to circle back around that because this was another question that we received a couple times in the webinar, which was, why do query rates continue to be high for established CDI programs? And I think the thought behind that is, you know, as you're querying, shouldn't you be educating your providers as you go along? And then shouldn't they be doing great documentation all of the time? And so queries are decreasing eventually. Yeah, I, I used to be naive and think that as well. But I think a portion of it goes back to the, the uh, example I provided earlier. When we're inconsistent in our approach, mm -hmm. they're kind of waiting for, hey, when do I need to versus when do I not, as opposed to learning. I will say over the years, my experience with providing education is unless you're providing direct inner, inner education related to their patients and their documentation and the outcomes of their work, it doesn't, it, it kind of falls flat, right? Because it's always, oh, they're teaching me about this, but it's the other guy's problem or the other, the other physician's problem, not me. Once yeah. they see it with their information, their patients, their documentation, they tend to get more on board. But it is, you know, it's a new way of thinking from a clinical perspective. I think back to, you know, when I was trained as, as, a, as a nurse and a, a master's prepared nurse in my programs and how I used to document the, um, it doesn't always flow. What we need to put in the medical record doesn't always flow with the way we think about patients, the way we assess patients. And so it's a different language and it's a, it's a change and change can be difficult, especially if you've been documenting a certain way for a number of years, it's going to take time, which is why it becomes important for this process to be quick, easy, efficient, and not intrude on the physician when they when they don't want it to, you know, when their mindset is focused on something else, let them answer the the, the query appropriately um, when they can address it, as opposed to maybe even intervening at the time of actual documentation. Right. And healthcare is such an ever-changing, ever-evolving field that even if you did train all of your physicians and they were perfectly educated and all of your documentation was on par all the time, eventually something is going to change that's going to disrupt your workflow and everyone's going to have to be re-educated again anyways. Well, absolutely. I mean, if, if you look at, and again, I've, I've been in this industry a long time, but over the years, we've had new codes, new documentation, right. new technology. There's always something new coming. The rules change annually every October 1st. We know that the pandemic caused the need for additional codes that we never had in the past. It also has caused a delay in where uh, Medicare and CMS wanna go with changing codes in the future. We know that the rest of the world is starting to adopt ICD-11s and we're still on 10s. That change to ICD-11s, which will happen at some point in the future, um, will influence documentation once again. So every time we think we get close to the bar, the bar changes of, of the direction of where we need to go. Um, it gets set higher and higher. And along the way, of course, the acuity of patients continues to rise. And so the need to capture it increases at the same time. Right. 
So I think that that's going to do it for this month's episode. Thank you so much again for joining Fran and taking the time to talk with us and share your expertise. No problem. Glad to, glad to see everyone. I look forward to another one. And thank you to all our listeners for joining. If you liked what you heard, make sure that you subscribe with Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next month. And until then, I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. Thank you for joining.